0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the 500th episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here with a very special edition of this show, as vintage Chris Vanini and your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, celebrate 500 trips into your ear holes, 500 different audio experiences, 500 dips into the pool that is performance-enhancing audio. Yes, Getting Over turns 500, or at least we've taped 500 of these damn things. It has been quite a ride here at Getting Over, and we have quite a show ahead for you. We're going to skip with the normal reminders off the top today. I just want to welcome you in, Chris, and discuss what it has been like doing this show 500 times. And yes, as you pointed out, technically, I have done the show 500 times, and you certainly less than that. But nevertheless, 300, 350, however many episodes you have been on, it has been our journey together, and it just feels kind of crazy To be doing the intro to episode 500.
1: You know, before we started recording this, I went back and listened to the first couple of minutes of the very first episode Mm -hmm. back in March 2020. And it was interesting to see how much has changed and how much has not still Silver King doing the exact same introduction (laughs) that has been consistent from the get go. That is good for the brand. But I got to say what we have now going back and listening to that audio quality back then. Oh, yeah. Thank you to everybody who stuck with us through those first couple of episodes. It's kind of wild to look back on. I wasn't I wasn't um, at the launch. I came in a couple episodes in right basically when the pandemic happened. And I had just gotten finished up with a Michigan State podcast at The Athletic. And I just wanted to a place to talk about something mm-hmm. and Adam reached out about, Hey, you, you want to be a part-time ghost on this po- wrestling podcast? So I was like, sure. I'd been watching WWE, but hadn't had a reason to watch it so intently yet. And uh, it's been a fun ride and it was a good time to get on board, to start that low and to think about where wrestling is right now. It has been a very fun ride. 500 episodes.
0: Yeah. Not just where wrestling is right now though, where we are and and where this podcast has taken us, the experiences that we've had, the people we've interviewed, the, the topics that we've covered, you know, my wrestling journey in terms of from a journalism, entertainment, you know, coverage standpoint, whatever you want to call it. I created a wrestling newsletter and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this story briefly. I did it when I was in middle school and It became the number two, I would say, professional wrestling newsletter out there. And I don't mean, I'm not comparing at all to the Wrestling Observer. That was a real newsletter that was sent via mail. I'm talking about online newsletter. (laughs) Uh, There were two. It was the other one, and then there was mine. I was the firm number two there. I had 50,000, 60,000 subscribers, and I carried that on all the way from i think it was eighth grade probably which i can't even believe like people would read what i was writing in eighth grade about professional wrestling i, I really should go back and read them because it was probably pretty inane but what was it called uh, it was called top rope newsletter uh the one that was bigger than mine was called bagpipe report i believe um but top rope newsletter was was huge and i interviewed a ton of people Mick Foley stands out um Sunny, I remember interviewing her, D'Lo Brown, et cetera. But, but it, it was super popular. And like I said, I took it all the way through high school. And then I got into the University of Florida. I was, I was going to college. And I realized, and people told me as well, hey, you know, the college experience is not something you really want to miss. And I was getting all excited for it. And I remember the summer right before college began, I basically made the decision I'm going to stop the newsletter. And I this was before ghosting people was a real thing. I literally just stopped doing it and never sent a message of "Hey, the newsletter is shutting down." People were concerned. It was it was a whole thing. I just stopped, and with stopping the newsletter, I stopped watching and following professional wrestling to the degree, certainly that I was at that time, which was constantly watching everything that WWF at the time put out and. The merger with WCW, not merger, uh, Vince McMahon purchasing WCW, had happened not that long before I stopped. So that was a period of time, my freshman and really sophomore year of college as well, where I just wasn't watching wrestling. I would download WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble through LimeWire or Napster or whatever I was using at the time. Oh yeah, and I would um, watch it with my friends just because it was fun, and I would find people who also used to like wrestling, but didn't watch anymore because we were in college. And then junior year came around and forget TiVo, but the regular like DVR that you could get through your cable company, that started becoming a thing. And I remember I had Cox Cable in Gainesville and I was setting up my recordings. I had just gotten the box and I was like, you know what? I should tape Raw and SmackDown. And I started watching again. And the thing that I was missing from that period of time when I started watching again, up until I started working really at CBS Sports, which of course is my full-time job, was being able to share my opinions and thoughts about professional wrestling with an audience of some kind, people who would actually care and respond back. And you could have an interesting conversation about it. So at CBS, I started writing about WWE, even though my job was an editor. We grew that... um, vertical, if you will. Significantly, we hired Brian Campbell, and it was just a lot of fun. And then we started doing a podcast. And never in a million years would I have suggested to someone, hey, you should make me a co-host on that podcast. But we had a boss and Brian himself, uh, they both thought I would do well because I was passionate about it and I knew about it. And I was on that podcast with Brian and Nick Costos, uh, called In This Corner and it was great. Nick ended up leaving. We transitioned the podcast. It was called State of Combat, and then eventually that podcast got a lot more focused on MMA, and that just wasn't really for me. We ended that, and I decided, hey, you know what? I'm way too into this now. Like Now that I have a microphone and I have thousands of people who actually not just care, but are listening and even tweeting at me, hey, Silver King, which was not a name I... uh, Contrived for myself, Nick Costos came up with that in case anyone's wondering. Um, But I had people that actually cared about my opinion and were giving me constant feedback about it. And we would go to shows, Brian and I would, we went to WrestleMania in Orlando, WrestleMania in New York. And people would seek us out and want to meet us and want to share their opinions and take pictures. These are not things that I thought anyone would ever give a shit about, at least as far as I was concerned, but they did. And creating that kind of community uh, through those shows, when State of Combat basically ended, I was left with this void. And lucky for me, uh, number one, I moved to like a SoundCloud platform and many of you OGs out there followed and would listen to... 15-minute wrestling recaps that you could only hear on SoundCloud. And then I started the podcast. And Chris, as you kind of mentioned, I had a different co-host at the beginning, which I thought would make a big splash in the podcast space because he was a significant name. And it did. I mean, it helped get us off the ground, but two episodes in, it just didn't work. I think both of us would have agreed to that. And kind of on a whim, Chris, Um, because I had interviewed you for a job at CBS and I knew you liked wrestling. You Mm -hmm. didn't take that job, which that's another conversation for another day. Um, But uh, I said, Hey, you know what, Chris, like I need a co-host on this WWE show. Why don't you come in and like, we'll do an episode and we'll see if you can contribute from now and then. And and my plan was to rotate co-hosts and just pick one person this week and pick one person that week and keep it fresh. We had such good chemistry on that first episode. I I can tell you at least from my standpoint it was, why am I going to look and talk to anyone else about wrestling? Chris and I just had a, whatever it was, one or two hour conversation that felt completely natural. And it's been off to the races ever since.
1: Yeah. I guess, I don't know if we ever told the story of how we first met. It was 2017 and you interviewed me for a job at CBS. Um, ultimately went to someone else, but you wanted to find a place for me. And then the the job at the athletic came open and mm-hmm you advised me uh, on that and I end up going there and I recommended um, somebody to you for that job and and, and they, they still work for you and you don't, and have, so to, you don't have to you don't have to couch talk, you don't have to
0: couch the name everyone knows him Jack Crosby uh, Chris is the person yes. who recommended I hire Jack for the job we had at CBS uh, so not only did I hire Jack he for a period of time became my co-host on the old. Wrestling mm-hmm. podcast that I had, State of Combat, not that I had, I'm sorry, Brian Campbell's podcast that I helped with, um, but for a period of time, Brian stopped doing the wrestling shows, Jack joined with me, you guys heard him recently on the Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk episode, obviously not the best of circumstances, but Chris is responsible for that pairing is the, is the key.
1: And yeah, and, and also uh, people may not realize you and I have never actually met in person. <laughs> we have not. Or not. True. Uh, par, par, partially because the pandemic was when the, was when the podcast started and, and also... Um, Football things come up i've met jack before i met him at an army navy game a couple of 2019 it must have been but uh, we've actually never met in person so at some point at some wrestlemania <laughs> down the road for sure we are going to actually do something in person together but uh yeah yeah that's the story of how uh, we got to 500
0: we've definitely 1000 percent. i know i have seen you in person but it was before we worked together i mean before we did the podcast together ah. so there was no reason for us to like necessarily like go and communicate with each other but i do remember seeing you i think it was like either a playoff like the championship college football playoff championship or one of the semifinals or maybe even it was just a bowl game or something um but i remember seeing you from afar and i was working with my writer at the time i was just like oh, i can't make time to go over to see him but we definitely were at some event but your point is oh. is key yeah. it, when yeah. Pre-pandemic, and even at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of the championships were held, I pretty much only drive to, to these events. So Atlanta, New Orleans, South Florida, Tampa. Ever since like the pandemic has ended, none of those events have basically been down here, so you have no reason to come to areas where I would be, and I don't necessarily travel up north or out west, so therefore I'm not seeing you. So sooner than later, I'm sure you'll be here somewhere for a national championship or a playoff or a wrestling situation We'll see each other, we'll commiserate. But yes, as of right now, uh, that has not happened. That is true.
1: Yeah, you know what? It might have been a AT&T Stadium, might have been one of the Cotton Bowls. It kind of sounds familiar now mm. that we, you may have seen me. I think you reached out, but we didn't, we didn't say hi. So that might have been it.
0: Yeah, but regardless, uh, it's been a great partnership here at Getting Over, and I hope all of you have uh, enjoyed listening to both of us banter uh, about professional wrestling. This is the 500th episode, so it was great to reminisce with Chris off the top, but you probably are listening to this because you saw the headline of the episode. So yes, allow me to confirm that none other than arguably the greatest professional wrestler alive right now, Brian Danielson, is indeed our guest today on the 500th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I did allude to something like this a couple times earlier in the week. Originally, the plan was to have a two-interview spectacular here for the 500th episode. And unfortunately, one of those interviews did fall through, though I can tell you right now without giving away exactly who it is, uh, we are planning to still hold that interview next week. So just like many of your girlfriends or wives or significant others may do, um, this is not going to be just the 500th episode of Getting Over, but the 500th episode week Of getting over like they would do with their birthday is the comparison that I was making. Um, So so we the celebration will continue is my point all the way into next week. But let me tell you something. If we were going to have one wrestler, one performer, one star, one superstar on the 500th episode of getting over, I cannot think of anyone I would rather it be than Brian Danielson. So we're going to get to that interview momentarily, Chris, before we actually speak with Brian, you know, coming through ring of honor and WWE now being in AEW, where has Brian kind of stood in your mind, in your professional wrestling fandom heart, uh, in terms of not necessarily favorite wrestlers, but people that you enjoy seeing on your screen and whose career you've enjoyed following.
1: You know, my first um, first time seeing Brian Danielson, believe it or not, was the WrestleMania in Miami when he loses to Sheamus in like 10 seconds or whatever like that. Because I had been out of pro wrestling at that time. But when I knew John C- when I knew the Rock was coming back to fight John Cena, I got that pay-per-view and I watched it and I was like, "Oh, who is this whole thing and, you know, the AJ Lee stuff and that was interesting." And I didn't, I didn't know his Ring of Honor career at the time. I didn't know his NXT stuff at the time. I eventually kind of figured that out. And and really, as I got into pro wrestling, over the next kind of year or two, it coincided with Daniel Bryan's rise. And I've probably got more Daniel Bryan wrestling shirts than any other wrestler uh, ever, and, and just in my in my drawers and stuff. And he was just he 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 really was the true underdog to reach in this level, everybody could relate to him. And he's such a fascinating person every time you see him talk. So I'm excited to uh, get to talk to him and get into some of these things.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, Brian for me, since he pretty much debuted in WWE and I didn't have much knowledge about him before, other than knowing his name, he's been one of my favorite professional wrestlers in many cases in many months and years, my favorite professional wrestler, not just during the yes movement or, or whatever the case, but just, being able to follow his career the ups and downs i'll tell you i mean he got me to watch total bellas i had never seen the total Divas show before mm-hmm. but when i found out that total bellas was not just about the bella twins but it was also about daniel bryan at the time and eventually john cena as well i was like oh i am all in for that and my appreciation for him as a person as a man with convictions the way he carries himself the the trials and tribulations that he went through not being able to wrestle um, during the concussion situation, you know it's one thing to hear about it uh, through the dirt sheets. It's another thing to see him on talking smack, which, by the way, was always incredible with uh, Renee Young at the time. Renee Paquette, of course, now um, her married name and her real name that she uses. But to to go through that whole process, and I'll tell you straight up, um, we first reported on CBS Daniel Bryan returning to WWE. We ended up getting that exclusive. So being able to experience that, the return night where he was suddenly on SmackDown and had that first match, getting back into the WrestleMania main event. uh, You know, Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, I'm sorry, his professional wrestling career, um, at least the latter half, I should say, has very much followed the trajectory of my fandom. When I got back in, not long after that, he Mm -hmm. debuted in NXT, the old game show format. And there was just so many things that happened. Uh, him temporarily getting released uh, because he choked someone out with a tie uh, and then getting obviously rehired and then going on to all the huge heights and successes he had in WWE. And then even, he's again, he's kind of following the trend here, AEW getting created and then leaving WWE for AEW and basically being a huge catalyst for the peak of that company and now it's a promotion that you and I don't just watch and follow, but very much enjoy, which maybe at the beginning wasn't always the case, at least for me. Um, But being able to follow him to that way. And now the fact that like I'm approaching 40, you're not there yet. He's obviously over that, but his career is about to end. It's, I feel like I've been on a journey with this guy. So I, again, I could not have thought of a better guest for the 500th episode of the getting over wrestling podcast. And we have plenty to discuss Uh, Coming out of this interview with Brian Danielson on the back end, I should also note that if you do follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, I put out the line for a bunch of questions that you all have wanted to ask us and get answers to for a long period of time. We will be doing a very special listener Q&A, a a Getting Overhead Q&A at the end of this episode. So even after the interview is done, don't forget to stick around for that. But Chris, it is my absolute honor and privilege Uh, to, for the 500th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, bring you this interview with none other than the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Thrilled to welcome none other than the venerable American Dragon, Brian Danielson, to the show for the first time. You can catch Brian weekly on some combination of AEW Dynamite, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. on TBS, Rampage, Fridays, 10 p.m. on TNT, and more frequently these days, Collision, Saturdays, 8 p.m. on TNT, but this week you will definitely see him fighting Zach Sabre Jr. at AEW Wrestle Dream on Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on pay-per-view from just about 100 miles outside his hometown in Seattle. Brian, first of all, great to have you here. I know you may have come back a little bit earlier than you initially planned from that arm injury. How are you feeling now that you've had a couple matches back under your belt going into this big weekend? Are you fully healed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel great, and then I'm actually thankful that I was able to do some matches before the match with Zack Saber Jr. Because heaven forbid I go months without wrestling, and then my first match back is against Zach, who's <laughs> so, you know you could argue is the best technical wrestler in the world. So, uh, so yeah, I was happy to get some uh, some some reps under my belt before that match.
0: Now you have this Zack Saber Jr. battle coming up sa- a Sunday, and to say it's a dream match for fans and clearly yourself. Might even be a little bit of an understatement. You guys haven't fought in nearly fifteen years. What does it feel like going into a match like this that is so highly anticipated across the board?
2: Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't even think about that kind of thing. I, I mostly think of my excitement for it and my expectations for myself and my expectations for Zach, and uh, and those are the kinds of things that that I that I think about or. I wouldn't even say that the word worry is appropriate, but those are the things that I'm like, okay, like, what, what what do I want this to be? What do I want to get out of this? What do I want to test him with? Like that sort of thing. And that's, you know, and that's kind of my, that's kind of my gig. (laughs) Sure. Well, what do you want to get out of it? Uh, Mostly. So one of the things that I am really looking forward to is this is my first big match ever. That i've had in seattle in the sense of like that whole time i was with wwe i never did like a long big match in seattle and so and even when AEW came here for the first time earlier this year uh so i was in a big segment uh but the match itself i was wrestling tony nece and it was under five minutes you know it was like i and then i did an uh like a, a little promo segment with with mjf and that sort of thing so uh this you know um I really because Seattle fan base is so awesome and specifically for those of us who they perceive to be this is our this is our hometown or our home area right we're natives Uh, I mean they're so so vocal and when that happens when you're wrestling I mean it just sends chills through your body I mean that's that's what that's what we get off on right is those kinds of reactions
0: there's a really interesting Seattle contingent just since you brought it up in AEW that I don't know that we've ever seen this much talent or this many, even just names, native people from the state of Washington in a single company at the same time, obviously Swerve, Darby Allen, Nick Wayne, and there may be others that I am not aware of that you probably know of what's going and, on. What's and, going well, on up there? Sorry. And Aubrey
2: as uh, a referee. Aubrey.
0: That's right. That's I knew yeah, that. And
2: even Aubrey as a referee. What, yeah.
0: What's going and on so, up there?
2: So I don't know. I think so i'm not sure like the scene has just gotten better here right and um and so and it's really interesting because you never even you know as i was a kid you greg the hammer valentine was billed as from seattle i don't even know if he was actually from seattle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just, it's kind of an odd place to bill somebody if they weren't from Seattle, because it's not like it's not like if you're from Texas or something where it feels like if you bill them from Texas, even if they're not from Texas, it's like, oh, he's a tough Texan or right. whatever it is. It, you know, that's not that people in Seattle aren't tough, but it's just not like, like a, that's not a reputation that we have in the city. So. um So, yeah, growing up, there weren't a lot of Seattle wrestlers that I could even remember other than Greg Valentine, even in WWE. I mean, Brian. Kendrick and I crossed paths there briefly, but, you know, other than that, like, there weren't any other Seattle wrestlers on the, um, on the WWE side of things. And so, so, yeah, I mean, this is really cool and really unique, and to have so many people from the state of Washington, uh, specifically on this show in AEW, it's, it's going to be really special.
0: Do you think Defy has something to do with it, obviously being growing in prominence over the last, I don't know, five or ten years?
2: Yeah, I think it does. And I also think, um, so it's a place to get recognized um, for one. And then obviously, uh, I think, too, um, Buddy Wayne having a training center here had really helped, right? You know, uh, Nick Wayne's father. And so mm-hmm. I think that got, I mean, but even somebody I'd heard pluses and minuses about, I, I don't know if I've even never met the guy, but a guy named Timothy Flowers who, um, was a respected veteran in this area right and so uh but having somebody like that who knows the basics of pro wrestling and who can teach people properly and then once you're taught properly you need places to be able to apply that skill so you can learn more and so that's uh and i think that's kind of what's happened you know you had a good training place and then you had places to wrestle and then all of a sudden you have a flourishing scene
0: yeah no question so You made some news um, with your announcement on Collision a couple weeks ago that approximately a year from now, your career as a full-time wrestler is going to be winding down. And when you made that announcement, I thought back to when Cody Rhodes left WWE and he publicly shared that list on Twitter of all the guys he wanted to fight when he was going to the independents. Do you have a list, like names that you want to check off while you're still in your prime, while you are still operating full-time, before you reduce your schedule? And if so... Who's on that list? Uh, no,
2: I don't. I don't have like I don't have a list. I have like, I have people I like. You know, I'd like to get in the ring with. You know, um, most of them, honestly, are AEW people, right? Because those are the most easily accessible. So, for example, I would love to do a match with Darby Allen in Seattle, right? How cool would that be? Right. And then even even like even like Nick Wayne, me and Swerve have never wrestled. And I'm just talking about Seattle or Washington State type wrestlers. I want to do another match with Kenny Omega. You know, I it, like there's there's all these there's all these different things that I would like to do. Uh, but to limit it, the most I don't want to limit it to names. Sure. What I really want out of this year is to be fully present and to be able to appreciate this being my last full-time year of wrestling because, and that doesn't mean just the matches. It also means appreciating people backstage, right? Like I love being in pro wrestling locker rooms. I love it, right? I love the boys. I love the, you know, I, I love the production staff, right? You know, you meet so many cool, fun, interesting people that in normal life, we have these weird, wild conversations that, uh, that you don't typically have in normal life outside your closest friends, right? And so, so yeah, um, I'm just really, really wanting to just appreciate all of that.
1: Along those lines, there's been a lot of talk about you behind the scenes, leadership type of roles, creative talent. You had a role in creative at at WWE as well. You know, we hear the the cliche locker room leader a lot, but how do you view your role in AW outside the ring and Kind of what does leadership mean to you? So I've never
2: aspired to be a leader. (laughs) That's not (laughs) something uh, I've told this story. I feel like now a zillion times, but uh, some people may not have heard it. When I was in WWE, they did these personality assessments, right? And they, uh, you know, this big questionnaire, they ask you all these things. And then um, and then they list some of your personality traits and it's zero zero to a hundred like on a scale right Mm -hmm. and my desire for uh my desire for power was at a zero my um i forget uh it's just like and i have no inherent desire to be successful right in the in a worldly way that people think of success so uh and those were the lowest scores they'd ever seen and and they asked me how are you how are you even successful or good at this i said i don't know i just like it like if you look at things that i'm i don't like i'm i'm not particularly good at them (laughs) so so uh so anyways when it comes to leadership i've never had a desire to be a leader but um sometimes that just kind of gets put upon you and um and more so than anything I try to lead by example and, um, as opposed to being like, Hey, this is, you need to do this. Right. That's not, I mean, that's not my cup of tea. So.
0: Do you feel like there was a vacuum in that regard with the departure of CM punk where you've now been able to step in at least on collision and take on a larger role on that brand or on that show than you initially expected?
2: Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's, because I wasn't a part of collision before as far as like being at the shows. You know, my first my first collision that I actually appeared at, you know, he'd, he'd already been gone. And so I don't know what it was like before. And and so yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I just do my thing and I don't really worry about like, okay. I would I would I do try to think about is what is my role what is my role in making aw better what is my role in making aw the best place it can possibly be right and what is my role in helping talent what is my role in helping tony like those sorts of things but i don't really concern myself with uh like it, i tried once when i was in wwe to read like this book on leadership and i was like what is your leadership style i'm like i i don't know i don't <laughs> care i just they just try to be me and and try to
0: not mess things up,
2: right? <laughs> like just try to be me and not mess things up.
0: What do you see as your role with Tony and with the talent as of right now? Uh, I mean,
2: like I just I think mostly what I think is that my role is listening, right? Like listening to Tony, listening to what he wants, right, and try to convey that to other people. Listening to talent, understanding their wants and their desires and and sometimes getting that to the people that that it needs to be gotten to or or even listening to the people in production I mean like okay what do they need like I think it's it's mostly just about listening and then and then spreading spreading whatever the information needs to be taken from that into the people who need that information
1: so You don't have maybe a list of people you want to wrestle while you're still full time. But is there are there certain things you still want to do in this last year, whether that's G1 Climax or a certain kind of match or a certain kind of story? Are, Are there things you want to do just in wrestling that you haven't done yet in this last year? Year so. I have a I ha,
2: I have some specific stories that I want to tell, but I don't I, I don't want to tell those to you guys. <laughs>
0: That's fair. That's fair.
2: <laughs> and so uh so so yeah, but I mean, um but yeah, other other than that, no, like I think one of the blessings of professional wrestling is that all of it is enjoyable, right? If you would have asked me shortly after I broke my arm if my first match back would be a strap match. I was like, uh, I'm not sure if I want to do another strap <laughs> match. And then uh, – but, but we did it, and I loved it, and it was so much fun. And so it's like um, – so, yeah, so one of the beauties about professional wrestling is that there's uh, a variety of experience, right, that you can go out there, and there's a variety of things that you can go out and do. Because honestly, if everything was kind of the same, even if it's that, like, uh, that epic match structure or whatever it is, if you – do too many epic matches they stop being epic right <laughs> so it's like uh so so yeah it's just enjoying enjoying this last year of being being a full-time wrestler
0: so much was made when you left WWE and you know there were reports out there that they said hey we'll make you an exception for you if you stay you'll you can go do the G1 well you can go to New Japan do you feel like that window maybe because of the pandemic in large part has passed you by to go and do that specific event because I know probably more than anything if you were to ask a wrestling fan what would you like to see Brian Danielson do it would be compete in the G1.
2: Yeah, so I so I don't know. I mean, sometimes I have delusions of doing the G1. <laughs> but but I think that's what they are. I think they're delusions in the sense of that's something that I've wanted to do forever and ever and ever and have never been able to do it and so yeah, this year would be the year to do it, except is it? Because by the time the next G1 rolls around, I'll be 43. And <laughs> and with how many injuries, I mean, because that's a big part of why I want to step away from full-time wrestling, too, is so to, to do this, like I love doing this, but it's not worth the expense of my health later on in life, right? And I've already had enough injuries as it is, and right now... I feel like the injuries that I've had are manageable in the sense of uh, long term. Like I'm constantly doing stuff for my neck so that my neck isn't bad when I'm seventy, right? Uh, the concussion stuff, I do my best, but we I mean, all of us, we're just hoping for the best, mm-hmm. right? We don't know. There, there's not concrete science on it, right? And so, um, so all of the, all of that said, so so yeah, I think now doing a G one might be a little irresponsible of me in, in comparison to what my overall long-term goals are, which mm-hmm. is being there for my kids and there for my family.
0: Right. Unless they're going to go with you to Japan for a month, probably not likely to happen. Well, y- yeah,
2: yeah, but I mean, in the sense of, and I'm not even talking for the month that I would be gone, but just Japan your health. One. I'm yeah. talking about, I'm talking about from my health, from what that would do to my body <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> after, after putting it, I, you know, I'm, my body's been very forgiving of me, <laughs> right? And the things that I choose to do, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to take advantage of it too much. It's been so good to me, and I, I, I need to treat it kindly. That's this kind of last year.
0: That's kind of a decent segue, and we'll wrap up the talk of the dream matches and the schedule and all that right now. But um, you mentioned, obviously, you know. You're in AEW, and therefore, a lot of the people that you could potentially fight over this next period of time are in AEW or maybe New Japan or whatever the case. I just want to get your take on two folks who are in WWE right now, uh, Gunther, formerly Walter, and Ilya Dragunov. They are putting up some incredible work right now, and it just seems to me like their styles would complement you incredibly well. Dragunov, in particular, has just been Pretty insane recently. Have you been able to watch what they're doing? And I'm just kind of curious what you think about them as performers, their style, and if those are the types of matches that you still want to have.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen both of them recently, and uh, yeah, they're they're doing incredible work. And obviously, when you think of like, okay, oh, would you, if you were to say like, hey, could you wrestle those guys tomorrow? I would say, yeah, that'd be great, right? Uh, but it's also not necessarily within the realm <laughs>
0: possibility, of possibility
2: reality yeah. <laughs> right yeah of course and so one of the th- one of the things that I feel like as somebody who regularly experiences depression right I try to not focus on things that are not necessarily reality based right it's very sure that's not great for my mental health you know what I mean so it's like so even if it's like oh like because i would do this a lot frequently when i was in wwe i was like oh if only i could wrestle this guy oh if only i could wrestle under these circumstances for example the new japan circumstance where you're doing these matches without tv breaks and ad breaks and commercials and all that kind of stuff and it's not you're not given like a specific time okay you have 12 and a half minutes for this match right (laughs) or or sometimes in wwe you have three and a half minutes or whatever (laughs) it is. You know what I mean? Like without all those restrictions and they, they do have time restrictions, at least from my experience in wrestling Japan in Japan, which was at this point now it's been since 2009 that I wrestled in, you know, uh, for pro wrestling Noah. And so, but it was like, okay, you have 12 to 15 minutes. That's a three minute window. That's three minutes of TV time is like, you don't get that kind of leeway in mm-hmm. TV, right? So I mean, so that's one of the things I would do in WWE is I would th- think like, oh, I would love to have this, or I would love to have this. But what I found is that it didn't it didn't help me appreciate what I was doing what I was doing at the time. And like, I was very happy in WWE, and I loved the matches that I worked there. But I think my mindset wasn't as focused and as. Uh, as in the present as it is now, which I think is just as better for overall appreciation of your
0: of your life. You mentioned battling depression throughout your career and, and even now. How does that work for someone who is literally in a performance-based industry that perhaps does not feel a certain way, right, backstage and then has to go through that curtain and put on a show? How, how do you compartmentalize that? How do you manage that?
2: So it's interesting because it never affects my performance. At least never that I can ever remember. it can affect my day that day, mm-hmm. right. But it almost seems like every time i every time I put on spandex, as weird as that sounds is <laughs> when i when I put on my my spandex battle jammies, right? like that part goes away and something else transforms. Right. And Mm -hmm. how that works. I have no idea. I mean, I think a lot of neuroscience is still a mystery. Right. And so, um, but yeah, but there, there's that thing. And then that part, and then it will, so I never experience depression when I'm out in the ring ever, you know? And so I, uh, and then it won't come back, you know, if I've had a really, tough day experiencing depression it usually won't come back until i mean well into the next day usually because you have to think wrestling matches happen late at night and by and at that point even after your match you're just exhausted and trying to get to bed so and then get up early to take a flight home the next morning so it's like uh so so that's it it would be interesting to see how depression relates to day of performances in anything, in any entertainment, in any sport. I don't know if there's studies on it, but I mean, that's a, it's a really interesting question.
0: So it doesn't affect your performance. It also doesn't sound like it affects you in the post-match in terms of any appreciation for what you've just accomplished or potentially taking praise from colleagues. You're able to still enjoy the performance that you went out and put on, even after the fact, it's not really until the next day that it would bother you. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, there's um why why are you experiencing depression right so it's like um and that's a i mean they don't know the answer for that right? right why are you experiencing depression but yeah no it doesn't appreciate it doesn't um negatively affect how i appreciate my wrestling and maybe that's one of the reasons why wrestling has been such a driving force in my entire adult life right it's sure. it's this time period where no matter what's going on in my what you would call your real life that 5 hour window let's say of putting on your tights warming up doing a match cooling down like that 5 hour window is free of all of it you know and that's you know that's a blessing
0: yeah no question so coming out of you and Ricky Starks basically just beating the shit out of each other for a couple matches, uh, it reminded me that of something I've long wanted to pick your brain about, which is getting color and the impact that can have on a match. You do it occasionally. John Moxley, sometimes mm-hmm. it seems like he can't wait for the bell to ring to get some color. Do you, think, do you think it's an aspect that can ever take away from a match or make a match feel less special if it's done with an extreme high frequency?
2: Uh yeah, I mean anything that becomes normalized becomes less special, right? So if you use thumbtacks every match, right? If you anything like that, all of a sudden, you know, tables now mean less than they did in 1995 because people use them a lot more, right? right. And so before it could be used for an injury angle, now you're wrestling the next week. Right. So it's, you know, that all of those things become normalized. And so, yeah, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing with blood, but one of the things that, um, I appreciate about blood is the way it makes you yourself as a performer feel right. (laughs) Like As odd as that sounds like to be bleeding in front of thousands of people as you're simulating this fight, right? I am not an actor. I am not. If you were to act me, if you were to tell me to like, hey, here's this script of somebody that's completely unlike you, could you read it to me? It would be the worst read in in actor triumph history, right? Uh but I'm good at going out and getting the aggression necessary to for a simulated fight. But what helps that? What you know, what makes it feel real inside of you? So you're pouring your heart out because that's what a lot of it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's taking these things inside of you and pouring your heart out in the ring. And part of what helps that sometimes is your own blood, right? Mm -hmm. And like, it just gets you fired. Like there was a point in the strap match where I couldn't see because all the blood in my eye, right? And although sometimes that is, that would be scary to people. In my weird warped mind and I don't think I'm the only pro wrestler who feels like this. It makes there's the part of my brain where it makes it feel like a real fight. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is I don't know why that's important for for the actual wrestling. Like there's it as long as I've been wrestling and I've been wrestling it'll be 24 years actually this week. Uh, there's still a mystery to it. Why why do people like it? Right? There right. there's been Countless examples of uh, pro wrestling not taking hold in most societies, right? Mm -hmm. Even in the United States. I don't know if you guys remember or are old enough to remember, there was a TV show called WMAC Masters, which is like, you know, it was in like, I think it started maybe like 95, lasted for maybe two seasons or whatever. But it's essentially a martial arts version of pro wrestling where Mm -hmm. they try to tell stories and then they do these martial arts fights, right? why did that never catch on and if you look at it you'd be like of course it doesn't catch on it's silly (laughs) but isn't pro wrestling also a little silly absolutely so how did that catch on and so it's like part like part of the appeal to this is a mystery even to me all i know is that it does appeal to me and that i know if you put somebody in an arena full of wrestling fans watching great wrestling even if they don't like wrestling or if they watch it on tv and they say oh that's silly you put them in an arena full of wrestling fans and it's contagious, right? Yep. The the having fun is contagious. The reactions are contagious. You see, you know, all these different things and you and you see people reacting viscerally to something that they know is not real, but they don't but that's the magic of it. You don't know what's you don't know what part of it is real and what part of it is not. You know, and so, so yeah. I, to, even to me, wrestling is a mystery.
0: Yeah, that goes back to one of those very popular phrases: "Wrestling is better than many of the things that you like." Chris says it all the time, and it's it's true. <laughs> when you when you give someone that opportunity to really see the best of professional wrestling, it's very tough to deny the entertainment level mm-hmm. and the excitement level and all that. You totally nailed it there. You're seemingly one of two people, Brian, really you and Chris Jericho. I would say who have not only worked closely with both Tony Khan and Vince McMahon, but seemingly have personal relationships with them as well. Everyone who covers wrestling, we spend so much time contrasting the two. But with you being someone who has this rare type of insight into both guys, do you see similarities between them that really stick out and are apparent to you?
2: Oh, of course, yeah. And I, and what I think the, the most, um, most noticeable thing amongst each of them is the amount of time they spend focusing on this, right? Their work ethic. And um, like, Tony, I don't know how Tony survives. I don't because there don't seem, there doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day for all the things that he's got uh, like going on in his life. And that's like, he dedicates a crazy amount of time to developing the professional wrestling aspect of, of his life mm-hmm. and it's like okay is he doing 80 hours a week of aw probably but he's also doing stuff with the jags and he's also <laughs> doing stuff with Fulham soccer and he's also doing stuff with it and i know that he's spending 80 hours plus in in aw stuff so it's like where's that time right <laughs> where does that time come from i would like, you know so it's like, a, but it, but it's the it was the the same thing with Vince in the sense of he he's always working. like there's not a time where he's not working, you know, and so even as he's sitting there eating his steak or whatever <laughs> it is, he's still. Thinking about the show or thinking about this different aspect of business, you know And so that I would say that's where they're that's where they're very similar I would also say they're very similar and that neither of them sleep much so, yeah. so maybe that's where they get the hours. I need more. I you know, I think we as humans need sleep We do, and uh, and so so yeah, I, I I value that
0: which makes you wonder what are they right? So Brian I will get you out of here on that. I appreciate all the time. Thank you so much again everyone you can catch Brian Danielson on AEW Dynamite, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. TBS, Rampage, Fridays, 10 p.m. TNT. More frequently, like I said, Collision, Saturdays, 8 p.m. on TNT. But this week, you will definitely see him fighting Zach Sabre Jr. in a dream match for many at AEW Wrestle Dream on Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Pay-Per-View. Brian, greatly appreciate your time. Best of luck, Sunday. And best of luck over the next year. Hopefully, we talk to you again before you hang it up as a full-timer.
2: All right. Thank you, guys.
0: Man, what an absolute treat that was speaking with Brian. I'll tell you all straight up. We had two questions left on our docket that I wanted to ask and we didn't ultimately get to. And you can probably guess what they were. Wanted to ask about Jade Cargill. He, of course, worked with her a bit in AEW and all the rumors about Edge possibly going to AEW. But just straight up, Chris, the trajectory of that conversation, it went in a way and down a path that I did not expect it to. There were a lot of situations where we were asking follow-up questions of Brian that we didn't expect would actually happen. And that obviously extended the interview and it cut off some of our planned topics. But I don't know that for th- in a 30-minute interview with Brian Danielson, um, we could have gotten more than what he provided. And I am massively appreciative of him for his time. And I also want to thank AEW for giving us the opportunity to speak with Brian.
1: Yeah, I mentioned it before the interview, but he's just one of the most thoughtful people in pro wrestling and just looks at everything from a different perspective and speaks on things in a different way. And that's why we were happy to get him and happy to talk to him his, his talks about uh, mental uh, 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 d- depression, mental health, and just kind of working through that was w- was really interesting. And his his, his conversation about the value of blood and why pro wrestling is interesting. Like you can tell these are just thoughts that kind of come out of his head and, and he kind of works it out, uh, in, in real time. So that was really enlightening. Um, and I think it's a kind of interview, uh, you know, I'm glad that we did.
0: What would you say were your top takeaways coming out of that conversation?
1: that he has a couple of storylines that he wants to do and won't tell us. Kind of thanks a lot, year-ish. Brian. And won't tell us. Yeah. Thanks a lot, dude. Like <laughs> I, We're I, trying I'm to make some follow. news
0: here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so that is, it, it's interesting. And it's good to know that like they've, or at least he kind of has a plan or some ideas for what he wants to do. Uh, and then, and then his um kind of admitting that doing something like the G1 climax is probably out of reach at this point and mm-hmm. not really wanting to think about things he can't do anymore or things that are outside the uh, realistic possibilities like wrestling Gunther or whatever. So right. uh, I, I think those things kind of stuck out. And I'm curious, it makes me kind of excited to see what this next year is going to be for him.
0: Yeah, no question. I- I'll tell you that um, what stood out to me most, and I know that he's mentioned it before, but it's not necessarily something that I think has been widely spread, at least in the professional wrestling context was his openness about battling depression. Um, I know that he spoke about that. He was in an interview with his wife, uh, Brie Bella, on a non-wrestling podcast when he spoke about it initially, but for him to open up about it, for him to discuss not just the fact that he battles depression, but how it doesn't affect him when he's in the ring, nor when he comes out of the ring. Like he doesn't just, the bell rings and he walks backstage and he's depressed again. He's maybe running off that adrenaline still or he's able to appreciate it and take praise. There's a lot of people like Brian and forget the depression angle where they go out they have a great match they come backstage they think it was shit. It doesn't seem like that is his mentality. It seems like he's the type of guy who is willing to spill his blood and guts out there and and just give it all in the ring and come backstage and understand that he has done perhaps something special, perhaps something really entertaining whatever the case might be. So that definitely stood out to me. The answer about the Vince McMahon and Tony Khan comparison, I actually thought it was, um, I'm not saying he gave a bad answer, but as me as a interviewer, it was an obvious uh, answer. Like, oh, they're both workaholics. I should have really asked him besides them both being workaholics, what is the similarity between them? Because I really should have thought about that ahead of time. But he makes a great point that really is a way where those guys are exactly like how many times have we heard the Chris Jericho story about like him and Vince being out drinking and, and getting wasted. And then at 5 a.m. Vince is like, hey, let's go to the gym. And, and Chris is like, I got to go to sleep, man. I don't know what you're talking about. So we've heard that. We've heard recently Tony Khan talking about working 80 hours a week uh, and or working 80 hours a week being nothing to him where, you know, he works way more than that. How does he do it? That's still a question that I want to know. We probably have to interview Tony Khan to find out that answer. But really, all of that stuff, and then again, what you said, um, his realization that like, yeah, the G1, I really want to do it. I don't think I'm ever going to. That kind of hit me hard because it's like, well, I look at myself now, and I'm not his age, but I'm definitely not in his shape. And I think about, yeah, you know what? Going to that like all-day outdoor concert, I don't really want to do that because I'm going to get exhausted, you know? And (laughs) the things that age make you reconsider— and reprioritize. That was a huge part of our conversation. So I appreciated him being that candid about all of those topics.
1: Yes. Yep. It, it was um, very enlightening. Really appreciative to him and AW for for putting that together. And I hope uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it because we sure enjoyed doing it.
0: We absolutely did. Now I did promise that there was going to be a little bonus segment here on getting over, and we are going to deliver that to you. Uh, let's just call it "Getting Overheads Live" for lack of a better term, because. About an hour before we taped the show, we were trying to figure out, hey, what should we do for the 500th episode? We thought we were gonna have those two interviews and it was gonna fill out the entire episode and everyone would be happy with those and pretty much that was it. Uh, But we decided, and it was really Chris's idea, hey, let's poll the audience and get as many questions as we possibly can that they've always wanted to ask us and maybe haven't heard answers to. And let's answer as many as we can on this episode. So Chris, we're going to do Exactly that. And you know what? Why don't we kind of tag team this? I'll ask you one. You ask me the next one. We'll go from there. I'll start off. Chris, Marcus Russell at big underscore M84. He wants to know who is your favorite wrestler of all time, male or female?
1: So I've kind of got two different answers for this. If it's like a wrestler At their peak, everything they've done, what they meant, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's the period I grew up in the Attitude Era. But if there's a single moment in time where there's a wrestler I liked more than anyone else, it's 2001 Kurt Angle. That was like a year or two into his appearance in WWE. He wins. He he retains the title against Triple H at royal rumble he has the big austin feud in the summer during the invasion he wins the wcw title he really carried wwe for a period there because rock was gone triple h was hurt and austin got hurt for a little bit and kurt angle 2001 could do everything i think 2001 kurt angle is the greatest technical wrestler in the history of professional wrestling and you you combine that with natural promo skills and comedy and seriousness and everything uh, I always think back to that. I got I actually met Kurt Angle that summer. I was a kid. I got his book at the local Walmart. He was doing a, a book signing. I got a picture with him there. And then last year at uh, WrestleCon in Dallas, uh, I did the same picture with him. What uh, twenty two years later or something like that. And so mm. uh, I w- I always think of that Kurt Angle when I think favorite wrestler. That's the specific one I think of.
0: It's a really tough question. So my favorite female wrestler of all time, I know you said male or female, but my favorite female wrestler is Becky Lynch and it's not even close. It's—it's it's, There is tears between her and everyone else as far as I'm concerned. And honestly, I believe, I would really have to give this a longer thought than asking it in such a short window of time, but she is possibly my favorite wrestler of all time, just Becky. Um, but to answer the male side of the question, there are two who stick out to me. One of them you just heard speak with us for 30 minutes here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Brian Danielson is probably my favorite wrestler in terms of someone who does the in-ring work of all time. Um, But the name that really keeps coming back to me and the time period that keeps coming back to me is The Rock. And it's not because he was great in the ring. He actually wasn't necessarily that great in the ring in terms of from a technical wrestling standpoint. The guy sold like a mother though. And that's on top of the charisma and the mic work and all that. But there is no one that I can ever remember in professional wrestling who makes you feel the way The Rock does. When he co- and you saw this mm-hmm. just recently in Colorado, in Denver. When that music hits and he comes out, when he stands in the ring, I was at a episode of Monday Night Raw in Miami with Nick Costos where the rock made a surprise appearance the way that crowd erupted the way we felt as fans seeing him come out and this was not when he was away from the company for an extremely long time it was still a couple of years but it wasn't you know an exceedingly long period the way we all felt and the the buzz in that building he could have done anything he could have sat down opened up a doctor seuss book and read it. He could have opened up Lord of the Rings and read however many pages that book is, 300 pages. And there would, you would not have heard a word. Everyone wanted to hear exactly what he would have to say. Then you couple that with like the all-time feuds that he had. He is legitimately good in ring skill, his selling, and the promo work. The way that when The Rock showed up on your screen, it didn't matter what he was doing or who he was working with. It was going to be great. And then you have the fact that even though he's not necessarily from South Florida, he did go to the University of Miami and he means a lot in this local area. And certainly I'm not a fan of the hurricanes and I'm not even a huge fan of Miami, the city. Um, But knowing that he was the guy from here and, you know, when he would come out on Raw, he didn't say, finally, The Rock has come back to Miami. He said, finally, The Rock has come back home. It made you feel a certain way. So for me, The Rock, Brian Danielson, Becky Lynch, they're in a tier that's pretty much above everyone else as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, and, and along along those lines getting to experience a Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance at WrestleMania 38 last year in Dallas with my brother, that was a childhood dream come true, similar to your Rock store there. If I, sure. I if I had to pick a favorite female wrestler of all time, I think I'd say China like China, in kind of in the late '90s, early 2000s, was just so unlike everybody else that was there, and she was so fascinating and interesting. And th- the way they moved her into men's stories when she won the intercontinental title, she was the number one contender for the world championship at one point. I always think back on on her uh, her height there, and um, she still stands out to me as as uh, my favorite female wrestler of all time. If you had asked me that question, Next? B- if you had yeah. asked
0: me that question before like the four horsewomen, um, my answer would have been Sable for reasons not at all related to mm-hmm. professional wrestling.
1: Oh, I've got a, I got a Sable story. So I was a kid, went to a Detroit Vipers IHL hockey game sometime in like 98 maybe. And she was there to drop the ceremonial first puck. This is like minor league hockey. She's there to drop the, first, uh, drop the puck and she did a, a signing afterward. My dad and I, she does the puck. My dad and I go get in line. We were in line for the first two periods of the hockey game. (laughs) Eventually get up to her. She signs the TV guide I've got uh, with her on it and a picture as well. So there's a Sable story. There's a Sable story from my childhood.
0: The puck was not the only thing that got dropped that night.
1: It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. (laughs) What do you got for me? (laughs) All right. Next question here. More current. Who do this is from Matthew Daly at Matt Daly O H. Who do you think currently most deserves? Not necessarily who will, but most deserves to end Roman Reigns' championship run.
0: You did skip over a question. I wanted to give that one to you, but I'll take it first. That's totally fine. Who deserves it? You
1: updated it later when I last looked at it. it Hadn't been completely typed up yet. I know. I,
0: I updated it for you. But um, who most deserves? not necessarily who actually will. The person who most deserves to end Roman Reigns' championship run is Jey Uso. He just is, because Hmm. for as much as Roman has done to carry this bloodline story, it would not have worked from the jump, maybe, without having Jey as that character for the tribal chief to play off. He needed that foil. That's the word I was looking for. He needed a foil, and Jay Uso was the perfect foil. I think as the process has unfolded, I mean, yes, there are, you can make a case for Sami Zayn. You can make a case for Cody Rhodes. You can make a case for Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre. There are so many people who could have beaten Roman Reigns. But the question that is being asked by Matthew, or Matt, is who deserves it the most. And for the overall body of work over this three-year period, no one even comes close, in my opinion, to deserving it more than Jey Uso.
1: My answer is Drew McIntyre because Drew McIntyre is the person who basically carried WWE through the early stages of the pandemic when Roman Reigns wasn't there. And for good reason, Roman Reigns wasn't there. But Drew McIntyre finally gets his big moment. He wins the Royal Rumble in Houston and he's going to get the main event at WrestleMania and there's no crowd there. And he goes through this whole long run. I think he had the title twice because I think he dropped it to Randy Orton and won it back. Um, I don't think he ever had the title in front of the crowd because he wrestled uh, Bobby Lashley. He did not. For the title that Lashley had and he didn't win it. And so Drew McIntyre has never been the champion in front of fans. And so when I when I think about his run, what he missed out on, what he meant to the company at that time. Uh, I think Drew McIntyre is the guy who deserves to take the belt off Roman Reigns. I think we both agree. Neither of them are going to be the one to do it, but we'll see what happens. Cause both of them are kind of doing some interesting things right now.
0: Sure. Uh, we have Brett Charles Malam at Brett underscore Malam. He wants to know, Chris, what would be your guy's dream meet on meat match? And I cannot Ask that question on the 500th episode of Getting Over without giving you what you all want. (laughs) Big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) That's what I want. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. Four big men slapping meat equals excitement. (laughs) Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. There's a lot of beef out here. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please gently, gently. I'm delicate. I need some meat. (laughs) Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. And we have a new clip coming, as you all know, but I wanted to play all those for you, Chris. Also to give you a little bit of time to think about your answer. What is your answer? Uh, What would be your dream meat on meat match?
1: So that, that was something that we you didn't have at the beginning of the podcast was the drops. Those came on later. Huge addition to the podcast. Very glad that we have those. Now, now I, I guess I can't ask Brett, but are you answering this question like all time, like in history? No,
0: I think he's saying if you For could put any people, people together, any people at any time together, who would you want?
1: This is what he's asking. Yeah. OK, yeah. Um, Andre the Giant and the Big Show. okay it's 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 andre and what was kind of kayfabe andre's son when he debuted as the giant two of the biggest people to ever be in a wrestling ring i would just love to see the two of them next to each other and just like two just kaijus just going at each other big show looking i I, like when does big show get to work a guy bigger than him you know Mm -hmm. like i i just i think that would be a lot of fun just the ground would shake with every punch Uh, i just keep thinking of like godzilla fights or something like that so Uh, That's that's the one that came to mind.
0: And here I thought you were going to say like Dabakato and Satnam Singh or something, you know, the modern day Andre and Big Show. Uh, I got to tell you, I've never even though huge fan of the meat, don't get me wrong. I've never actually been a fan of like the big giants like Andre the Giant, Big Show. Never really cared much about that. Undertaker, totally different. Obviously, Kane, totally different. But Andre and Big Show just never really did it for me. So mine's actually a modern answer to the question. I think any meat on meat match that we're talking about in 2023, and there's no restrictions. So we're talking about health, age, experience, any of that. You absolutely have to put Biggie in there just because big meaty men slapping meat as we know it for this show does not exist without him. It just doesn't.
1: Are are we going to, are we going to get the one that he wanted?
0: Oh, him against Goldberg? Uh, No, that was not where I was going to go. But Uh, Biggie and Goldberg, I will just say that is a dream match if you could rewind the tape like 10 years back. Okay. But in terms of 2023, or really just all time, in terms of my personal taste, the meat slap and action I like. And again, I really want Biggie in the match for all the reasons of emotion. But Biggie and Gunther, I I would love to see it. I think it would be incredible. Totally different styles, despite both meat slappers. And the only other name that I could kind of throw in there and maybe do a triple threat with potentially would be Tomohiro Ishii from New Japan, the Stone Pitbull. You throw those three together in a match, I mean, the ring collapses. I don't know I don't know that anyone would be, would be left standing in the entire arena. There'd be so much meat slapping going on. So that's my answer. A um, little bit more modern.
1: Here, here's a modern one that I would do. Um, Big E and Keith Lee. Keith Lee. Great. Uh, yeah. Very brief. You know, when he came up from NXT run, you know, the Royal Rumble spot with Brock Lesnar, that, that was an incredible meaty moment right there. Uh, and then Braun Strowman came afterwards. So uh, Keith Lee's kind of been on the back burner for a while in, in AEW and stuff like that. But if I had to pick someone modern, he'd be up there too.
0: Keith Lee, like 2018 Keith Lee versus Gunther. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. That would be something to yeah.
1: say for sure. All right. This one's from Thomas Fortune. I assume it's how it said, and he's at Tip, Tip <laughs> on Twitter. Favorite sporting memory, and it's favorite with a U. So I assume he's either from Canada or uh, Europe.
0: Yeah, possibly the United Kingdom. A-
1: and the fact that he said sporting as opposed to sports. Yes,
0: yeah, Kingdom. definitely. That's 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 a British uh, per- and Thomas Fortune. That's a British name. It Has to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Good question. Um, what is my favorite? I have so I have. A number that stand out.
1: I got two two that come to mind if you need to think.
0: No, I I can go through them really quick. I I have a few that just I'll run through really quick. So I'm a New York Yankees fan. Let me make that clear. But I was at Game 7 of the 1997 World Series when the Marlins won. And to be at Game 7, and Mm. anyone who knows, I believe that win in extra innings if my memory serves me properly. Um, Game 7, extra innings, World Series, hometown team again even though I'm a Yankees fan at the time I didn't hate the Marlins um that was an experience I will just never forget my uncle worked for NBC sports he got me tickets right on the third baseline like eighth row something like that um I was on the local wow. news celebrating at the end I was a kid uh but like the cameras you know were were filming and everyone would jump in the camera and scream I didn't do that obviously but I was in the background and I got people called our house phone and left the messages I saw Adam on TV. Uh, So that really stands out to me. That's one moment for sure. Uh, I don't know the game or the year, so I'm sorry, but it was Larry Johnson's big shot for the Knicks over the Heat in Miami arena in South Florida. I'm a Knicks fan. The entire arena obviously were Heat fans. Before the game, I was wearing a Knicks towel, a Knicks jersey, a Knicks hat. They put me on the big screen pregame. And they played the Ace Ventura line, uh, a her. So I'm a kid. They're calling me a loser in front of this <laughs> entire arena, right? Um, and I look and I see myself on camera. I flip a double bird. Stone Cold Steve Austin and John Moxley would be proud. They cut away from me. The entire row behind me is Knicks fans. They became my best friends. We were crazy and rowdy. And the fact that we won that game and got to taunt all the other Heat fans around us, that really stands out to me. I was at the uh, 2009 BCS Championship game uh, when Florida beat Oklahoma in Miami, in South Florida. So I was there. I also happened to be sitting in the Oklahoma section during that game. So seeing my own team win a national championship, that really stood out. And this last one is gonna throw you all for a loop. Uh, I don't know the year, I forget the year, but... The Miami Dolphins were winless, okay? And I was a season ticket holder. And the final game of the year was against the Baltimore Ravens. And it went to overtime. And Greg Camarillo, I believe from Cleo Lemon, caught a walk-off touchdown to save the season and ensure we were not a winless team. It's a shitty game, a shitty season, and a shitty team. But the way that crowd went crazy on that catch and run, I will never forget that. So those are the four events that stand out. I don't necessarily have a favorite. Um, I did get some chills from that last one with the Dolphins, and obviously it's apropos given the way the team is playing this year.
1: Yeah, I was looking that up while you were talking about it. That was the 2007 Miami... Miami Dolphins, Indeed. that was week 15 in overtime. My
0: first season, Eagles. my first season as a season ticket holder. They almost went so, winless yeah. that year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Speaking of someone who's from a city that did have a winless uh, NFL team, um, I, I can feel that. You, Your first one, you mentioned uh, 97 Marlins. One of mine is another Jim Leland memory. Mm. 2006, Detroit Tigers ALDS game four against the Yankees. The Tigers had never been good my entire lifetime to this point. We're talking 15, 16 years at this point since I was alive. My buddy gets uh, gets into the, the playoff ticket lottery. He gets tickets for game four uh, at home of the ALDS. The, the Tigers are up 2-1 in the series. They win this game to win the series to go on to the ALCS. They'd eventually go on to the World Series, but that was the loudest crowd environment I've ever been a part of or seen in person. And it was for baseball, because the Tigers, which are just such a big part of Detroit, I'd say the number two team behind the Lions, uh, had just it had been it, it had been an unfathomable that they were on this run. Three years prior, they broke the AL record for losses. They had 119 losses. I went to the last game of that season. And so then to be here three years later, and they're beating the Yankees to, to go to the ALCS was um, a wild, wild experience. Other one, 2015, Michigan, Michigan State, mm. the trouble with the snap game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a Michigan State graduate. I was uh, at the game with a Michigan friend, and I, I I've never gone from like accepting defeat to mind-blowingly victory uh, ever on a single play because something like that finish never going to happen again. Michigan drops the punt. The, all they got to do is punt the ball away, and they win. They drop the punt. Michigan State picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown as time expires. I just absolute delirium, out of body experience. Just like a, a possibility that doesn't even enter your mind, like you're like they're either going to block it or return or something, and then just the way that happened, unbelievable. And then this one, I was not there in person, but we, but but uh, it always comes to mind for me. And we since this is a question from a presumably from a Brit, Manchester City, 2012, winning the uh, Premier League for the first time in decades. Mm-hmm. I had become a Man City fan like a couple years prior. And uh, they, Man City scores two goals in extra time to win the Premier League, uh, jumping Man United in the final seconds when they beat QPR. Uh, I was at my, I was at my now wife's parents' place. I'm just running through the house, going crazy, uh, just unbelievable. Again, like two of the most unlikely finishes to games in the history of sports. Yeah, uh, and both two of those involved teams I was rooting for at the time. So. Those are the three that come to mind, and I'm really shoot. I'm all fired up now after after uh, after thinking about that question. I actually have
0: one more answer. I just want to sneak in real quick because you mentioned a lot of college stuff, and I forgot. It's random. It's not a standout moment like the others, but there was a 2005 regular season college basketball game. It was Florida Kentucky in the Stephen C O'Connell Center, which is in Gainesville. Florida had lost like eight straight games to Kentucky. And this was, the Gators were good with Billy Donovan as their coach, but they'd still lost eight straight to Kentucky. They won the game 53-52, I believe on a buzzer beater or walk-off three-pointer by uh, Anthony Roberson at the time. Um, And David Lee was on that team, Corey Brewer and Al Al Horford. I'm sorry, yeah, Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. Um, Roberson, yeah, Roberson hit that three. And the, I thought the building was going to implode. Like, it, it was insane. Uh, the Rowdy Reptiles are real. That's the, the fan section uh, for the students. And yeah, it was just incredible. So I just wanted to throw that on there. I, I vividly remember that as well. Uh, Chris, let's go to the next question. Daniel Greer, at Daniel Greer. Who would each of you want to interview as a top dream guest? Speak it into existence.
1: So I, like, if we have, like, full range you know like
0: yeah there's only one answer
1: or maybe not yeah yeah it's it's vince mcmahon yeah like like it, it's it's you would, he doesn't do many interviews there's so much in his history that we don't even really know about but you know like like th- there were there was or is going to be documentaries about him made or or not uh, there's just so many questions you want to talk about his philosophy the trouble he's gotten into all these different things the his his kids there's just a million things you would want to ask so he would be clear number one mm-hmm. kind of along those lines I would say number two similarly is uh, Triple H because um, I, I have well we've both inter- we've both interviewed him, him, him
0: before just not on this yeah podcast. yeah like I, yeah. I
1: said yeah we've interviewed him like I, I talked with him off the record for like 30 minutes last year at the WWE tryout and just shot ch- out the shit on a lot of things and like, he's, he's such a great wrestling mind, you know, and just to, to, to kind of go through stuff like that, I think would be great podcast material as well.
0: So yeah, Vince McMahon is the clear number one. Uh, so triple H I've interviewed twice on a podcast on the old podcast, and then once in person off the record as well. And I I guess I'll tell, I'll be candid with all, I, I ask once every 60 days to interview triple H and he's just, not doing interviews with podcasts like ours right now. I mean, he'll probably jump on Pat McAfee, or he'll jump on some other you know huger shows that have been around longer and have larger listenership, or he'll go on Ariel holani or whatever the case. He's not just doing plain, non-branded, non branded, um, non affiliated. He's let's call of it. Us. Yeah, wrestling podcast. But what's frustrating is that I've interviewed him three times and we got along, and I've emailed with him before, just like. To so come on the show. Like right? I know he's busy, especially now. He's doing a lot of stuff. But I'd love to interview him again. I wouldn't call him a dream interviewer, though, or interviewee, uh, because I've already talked to him so many times. So Vince McMahon, clear, clear answer. But the other answer I will give, and this is purely me thinking about this as a podcast host, I want to interview Dwayne Johnson. I want to interview The Rock. I want one hour, one-on-one mm-hmm. or two on one, uh, with you, of course, Chris, uh, interviewing the People's Champion because What's that going to do? It's going to get me as much press as possible, as many listeners as possible, and it's going to benefit the show. So that's the answer.
1: Um, I got a couple left here. Jason Jeter at J, J J-T-E-R-L-E-O. Would you consider, this is for you really, would you consider doing a mega show with your old co-hosts, Nick, BC, Jack, to preview something like WrestleMania from a casual WWE fan perspective? For example, it was great having Jack on the Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk tribute episode.
0: Well, let's start by calling Jason Jeter a wedge driver cuz he didn't even include you as one of those co-hosts on the show, this mega show that we would be doing.
1: I assume it's implied.
0: Uh, okay, maybe, but Jason, watch yourself there. Um, I actually did kind of do a throwback show. I forget if it was episode 100 or 200, but I did have Nick and BC on the podcast and we had a great conversation and it was a lot of fun and obviously Jack uh, did come back for the Bray and Terry Funk episode. Uh, the reason why, well, first of all, to answer your question, would I consider it? Yes. Doors open. Uh, I've told all of them that multiple times. Uh, they're not really walking through it. There's a couple of reasons why. BC is immensely busy, and he is completely entrenched in the world of MMA and obviously boxing. He has a great show that he's doing right now, Morning Combat. He does a ton of work with Showtime Boxing. He is super busy. Nick has his own show, You Better You Bet, super successful podcast. I think. Uh, they just came out with a big announcement today. They're going to air on Stadium and Sirius XM yeah. in addition to Odyssey. So like, congrats to him. He's doing great. But there's only so much time for everyone to come together. And there's also only so many topics where it would really make sense. You know, There's a certain person who we just re- recently mentioned. Uh, if that person was to pass away, I think that would be a situation in which it would make sense to bring a lot of people into a single show. But other than something like that, I think everyone's too busy in their lives, both professionally and personally, to do something like that. But the door is open. Nick and I have had other conversations about him guesting on an episode. We've actually had one scheduled that didn't work out. So to answer your question, Jason, love all those guys. Would love to have them on. Will it happen? I don't know.
1: Do I want it to happen? Absolutely. The door is open. We did consider, I think it might have been this year, not not with those people as co-hosts, but like bringing on various casual wrestling fans in like the sports media world to like yes. talk about it uh, didn't end up coming together or anything. But but that idea of like previewing WrestleMania from a casual perspective is tough to balance because obviously everybody who watches this podcast kind of generally or listens to this podcast generally knows what's going on day to day. So right. um, I don't know, but it's something we've considered. And, and we'll consider uh, in the future.
0: Yeah, it would be tough to do like two previews, a casual preview and then an ultimate preview because then you're doing everything twice and it's a lot of extra podcasting and you have to wonder what kind of benefit is it and do the listeners want that? That's tough, but what Chris is referring to is when Vince McMahon retired, he and I conceptualized like getting as many people on the show as possible to give their perspectives of what was gonna happen with WWE, their interest in it, memories of WWE. And this included not just perhaps Brian Campbell and Nick Costos and and, and Jack Crosby and all those guys, but also a lot of our friends and colleagues in the sports world who like wrestling, but it's not something they do as part of their job or as part of their hobbies in terms of podcasting about it or writing about it. And we both know a ton of people like that. Uh, But we tried to put it together. We realized it was going to be a really heavy lift in a short period of time. So ultimately we did not do it, but we'll consider things like this in the future. No doubt about it. Last question here, because we should wrap this up. Wizard Kelly at CKM11 and Brian Owens at Owens11B. They both asked the same question. Uh, If you were a wrestler, Chris, what would your finisher be and what would you call it? And he also said, and who would be your dream opponent? Um, You can answer as many or as few
1: parts of that as you want. So when I was a kid playing I think WWF Warzone for PlayStation back in the day and you'd make yourself as a wrestler... Uh, and you kind of went through finishing moves and whatever, Um, I came up with what I called the CV stunner, CV being my initials. And what it was, was uh, basically an RKO. Before an RKO existed, it was a a cutter, but it was different than the way the Diamond Dallas Page did it. I I would do the the gut kick like Austin, but then instead Mm -hmm. of a downward stunner, it was kind of an outward stunner face cutter like that so i guess that's what i would have to pick because that's what i've always uh, thought about since i was a kid is basically kind of like the rko it's great you can pull you can pull it out of nowhere it's impactful it's it's, it's all kinds of things um dream opponent would probably be uh again kind of going back to the first question would probably be stone cold steve austin or, or the rock i think it's it's got to be one of those two
0: well the dream opponent for me has to be the rock because he's going to sell everything i do and he's going to make me look like a star Yeah. Uh, Or maybe Shawn Michaels, like like one of those two would be in that category because I want them selling for me and making me look good because I'm not going to be good in the ring. So that's number one. Uh, I don't have a name for my finisher, but I know exactly what my finisher would be. Uh, Anyone who remembers WWF in the 90s probably remembers Ahmed Johnson and his finisher, Mm -hmm. I thought was the coolest effing thing I had ever seen. It was called the Pearl River Plunge. And basically, it was a sit down Liger Bomb, but with the feet over the shoulders for a pin. So, one fell swoop, boom, sit down Liger Bomb, one, two, three. Not as sudden as the RKO. And I, I've said this previously oh. the best finishers in professional wrestling are the ones that can happen suddenly. I do believe the RKO is probably the best finisher in professional wrestling history. But. This question is versatile. It's versatile. And well. the versatility of it, being able to take people off the top rope, avalanche versions, like all the way he, ways he's done it, make it the best. But again, the question was, what would my finisher be? And just like you, the one I have thought about for decades now, ever since I was a kid, was the Pearl River plunge. Ahmed Johnson looked like an absolute badass doing that move. And that is how I always envisioned myself. Instead of red trunks, it would be blue. That was really the only difference.
1: I just looked at it. I looked it up while you were explaining it. That's uh, impactful, man. Yeah. That I mean, that would be difficult to do on a lot of guys. But I mean, he's a strong guy. But uh, that's a very cool one. By
0: the way, if and Ahmed it's, Johnson. It's generally pretty safe. If Ahmed Johnson was actually a good wrestler, which he was not. No offense to him. And you want to talk about big meaty men slapping meat. Ahmed Johnson and Big E. Holy shit. That would have been a hell of a match.
1: <laughs> Reinforce said- the ring post. The beat's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. This, this is a one late quick question. I'm just sure. kind of curious your thoughts. on. Sure. This. So like greatest finishers, RKO is just a, a cutter, you know, like rock bottom is, is, is almost like a uranagi. It is a uranagi. yeah. AA is just a, AA is just a fireman's carry. Switching music is just a super kick. Right. That last point, people always say super kicks are overdone. It devalues, yada, yada, yada. I've always felt in my mind that when Sean, my, Michael's does the super kick. It just means more than anybody else doing it. So, like, I'm fine with super kicks. I don't compare them to sweet chin music because when Shawn Michaels does it, it's just different. You know, like nobody thinks, "Oh man, Becky Lynch just hit someone with a rock bottom." Like, no, it's like it's different when the rock does it. So, I have just that's a that's a popular conversation while we're talking about finishers. Well, I just wanted to let's
0: clarify something though. I'm not saying Shawn Michaels invented the super kick. He certainly did not. But when it came to super kick as a finisher with flash and style he did invent it and all the other people where we talk about it's being overdone now it's cuz they've all come after him and what they do now is they take they took a move mm-hmm. that was a finisher and now they spam it so you know straight up young bucks right and usos mm-hmm. and a lot of other teams it's 18 super kicks in a match it doesn't number one it has no impact for what they're doing but it seemingly devalues going you know, retro, the Shawn Michaels uh, switch in music. The difference and thank heavens, Shawn stopped wrestling before this happened, so there really wasn't a lot of crossover. But my bigger issue, and this goes for primarily a super kick and like a splash or a frog splash or something like that, is when someone takes a move that was really special for a period of time, and they have their own finisher, which is great. And then they change and decide to do that finisher instead. A great example, not to pile on, uh, not create period in his life right now, is Dolph Ziggler. I loved the zigzag. I loved the Famouser, even though Billy Gunn did the Famouser. But the zigzag was great. It was unique. Yeah. It was impactful. He was pulling someone down backwards. You could see how that could knock someone out. And then one day he just is like, eh, I'm gonna do the super kick. And it was a far, far worse finisher than the one that he was doing previously. And I say this as well, to some degree, to Kevin Owens. Now, it's a little bit different. He's,
1: I was going to say that. He's, yeah.
0: he's taking a finisher that was a stunner, and he's doing a finisher that was a stunner. And no one else is really using a stone-cold stunner in that way as a signature move like a super kick would be. So it's a little bit different. But I do feel that Kevin Owens downgraded his finisher because the pop-up power bomb was freaking awesome, and it was unique to it him. Was. And then he changed to something that was kind of generic. And not, not generic, sorry, but had been done previously. So again, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but that is really, to answer your question about a super kick, that is my take on it. I do believe it has been devalued significantly. And if you're a new debuting wrestler, if you're, let's say, Trick Williams in NXT, and your finisher was the super kick, I'm going to look at that and say, that's a shitty finisher because it's been made one, not because it ever wasn't. Yeah. Not because it was always bad, but it's now become
1: bad. It's it's similar to Jake the Snake Roberts with the DDT like I didn't grow up watching Jake the Snake, but I grew up watching Shawn Michaels. So when I see when I look back, we see super kicks every episode of Raw and AEW. when I watch an old highlight of Shawn Michaels doing a super kick, it still feels special when I watch Jake the Snake do a DDT doesn't feel as special because I didn't watch it at the time so I do wonder if today's generation of young kids see a sweet chin music and think oh it's just a super kick you know like I guess that there is something to that
0: and by the way the DDT is another perfect example it's exactly like the super kick all of a sudden everyone started doing it yeah the rock did one and it was like oh okay it doesn't matter now like Cora Jade and NXT she does a DDT finisher and it's like how is that her finisher doesn't mean it used to be bad. Mm-hmm. It was great with Jake the Snake Roberts and he still has the best one ever. Uh but now you look at it and you're like how can you use that? It's a setup move. Doesn't make any sense. So, look, folks, that was a long conversation about finishers that I don't think we expected to get into. I got to tell you, this was a very fun 500th edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And again, I want to thank Vintage Chris Vanini for being here, not just for this show, but for so much of the history of this podcast in general. We do have a ton of stuff coming your way, so let me rattle that off before we get out of here. On Saturday, we will have your NXT No Mercy instant analysis. On Sunday, we will have your AEW Wrestle Dream instant analysis. On Tuesday, we will be back with your WWE Fastlane Ultimate Preview. And like I said, we are celebrating a 500th episode week, so don't be surprised if there's another bonus show coming next week right here on the Getting Over wrestling podcast we didn't do it in front we're going to do it on the back end if you want to celebrate 500 with us you know what you can do you can remember that the getting over wrestling podcast is all about defy so please folks stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me go back to being marks for the silver king for vintage celebrate number 500 with us Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. We will also have pre and post show polls for NXT No Mercy and AEW Wrestle Dream. When you vote in those polls, your vote doesn't just count for the polls, it will be part of our show. Uh, the instant analysis episodes later those respective nights. Again, vote, join us, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And lastly, please remember that here on Getting Over and in general, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well. For $5 a month, $50 for the entire year. Look how that lines up, $5.50. 500. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up, you will get bonus audio, you will get news posts, and your financial contributions will directly support the show. And even if you don't want to subscribe, if you just want to make a financial contribution, you can do it there. Go to the section that says buy a meat or buy a coffee. And I think any $5 increment, you can contribute as a donation i guess contribution to the show but chris and i will get some beers we'll celebrate 500 we'll crack a cold one Uh, and thanks to all of you who are already subscribers and those of you who will be subscribers in the future once again chris thanks for joining for vintage this is the silver king signing off from episode 500 and leaving you with just three final words bye for now